Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack, and on the line with me, I have Professor Jenny Darach. She is the Henry Y. Wang Dean Drucker School of Management, Professor of Innovation, Entrepreneurship, and Marketing. Claremont, I just messed that up, Jenny. <laughs> I just messed that up. It's, it's a bit long. <laughs> so firstly, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the show with you, Laferne. I'm just delighted to be here. My, my, I'm a professor of marketing and innovation, but in addition to that, I'm the dean of the Drucker School of Management, and we're part of Claremont Graduate University, which is part of the Claremont Consortium here in Los Angeles County. Excellent. And I'm so happy that you're on. I heard you a few months ago talking about Drucker School of Management at Claremont, and you were so fascinating. And I was thinking about the parallels between, you know, being an athlete, being a fan, and also what you have to do to prepare yourself as an individual um, to train and be the best person that you can. Tell us, Jenny, how did you get to Drucker School of Management? That's a really good question. <laughs> so, so as you might, as the listeners might have figured out, I'm a Kiwi. I come from New Zealand. And in 2004, I decided to move our family to Claremont, California. And it's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time was to work in higher education in the United States. So I'll talk a little bit about my background before I came to New Zealand and a bit afterwards and, okay. and, and some fun facts that I think the listeners might enjoy. So we, I, I was working in, in Otago University. Americans pronounce it Otago, but it's right down the bottom <laughs> of the country. Yeah. Are so we pronouncing one, one, it wrong? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of one stop between you know the bottom of New Zealand and Antarctic. It's it's a fair way down. And and I was working in marketing, and I set up an entrepreneurship centre where we launched a master's in entrepreneurship. And my claim to fame was that I got to choose the colour of the hood, which I chose as a shocking bright lime green that screamed at everybody during graduation. Then we moved here to the States, and at the time my children were 9 and 12, so they went through, um, started at grade 4 and 6, and went through high school and college, and, and since this is ESPN, my oldest son was actually a fantastic swimmer, and he went to, on a Division One scholarship to LSU, Louisiana State, awesome. and swam in the ECC. So I, I'm very mindful of the journey that, that we take as, as families, as, as villagers, yeah. we always claim it takes a village to raise an athlete, I think, but yeah, the, the journey that we went on to, to support him and, and the youngest brother also swam, but he wasn't nearly as competitive, and he was a great swimmer. But just that, that whole sort of work-life balance with athletics is a really big part of what you do. Um, and, and then, as I said, I came here in 2004, and I've worked right the way through from a junior-level professorial position through running the school, and I just love it. I love um, being in California. I love representing the Drucker School and running a business school. It's something that I care deeply about. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, having an athlete in the family, it's all you do some of the times. Like I know families right now, (laughs) it's like, well, we have to take them to soccer. Well, we have to take them to practice. Well, we have to take them to the game. And it's like my friend told me before I had my son, 
he was he was saying that you know be ready because you as a family you're going to be totally immersed in your athlete. It's so true, and I think you know you look back over the years, and and sometimes I think there was a degree of insanity in, in terms of what we were doing uh, with swimming, as the listeners know, with any sport when you're at an elite level. It's a thirty-hour-a-week commitment to practice, and and so it was mornings, it was nights, it was weekends, and then swim meets. But then you know juggling, or, or I mean, it wasn't our job to do the homework, but of course watching our son trying to do his homework and keep up with school and grades and. And then at some point, athletics finishes, and, and you know I've spent a lot of time thinking about that as a parent, and also in higher education when you work with athletes. You know, at some point it ends, and 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 I think the transition from being an elite athlete back into something else, whatever the something else is, is something that's really, really challenging. And I think we overlook it and we don't pay enough attention to the transition and the challenges that the individual has when their whole identity was shaped around their excellence as an athlete. Right. That is so true. And and we're talking about like athletes, they, they just prepare themselves for competition. But you as a professor and a dean, competition is a driving need for continuing education strategies. Can you talk about that? It is, it is and it isn't. So I think your know, competition, some schools are incredibly competitive and we try and foster collaboration probably more than some other schools. You know, we, we do believe that the ability to work together and leverage each other's strengths is really what happens in organisations. And Peter Drucker himself always said that we should look to strengths and identify the strengths in individuals and play to those strengths. So we do encourage a lot of collaboration and teamwork and, and, and we spend a lot of time in our curriculum, understanding who I am and who you are and how we can develop and evolve and work more effectively together. Is Jenny, is that part of like, because when you say that, it, it feels like as an athlete, you have all these things that you learn, how to be a teammate, how to collaborate, how to give and take, how to, you know, basically function as a team. Do you see some of what your son learned in your learned in swimming, mm-hmm. you know, transfers over to what you teach? Oh, look! If I could fill my program up with a with a whole bunch of people who've been athletes, I would I would take that people in a heartbeat right. who've, who've been athletes. And the reason for it, and again, I speak more from my limited experience of what what I observed through swimming, but I think this applies to any um, athlete who's performed at a high level. It takes discipline to be an athlete. It takes time management to be an athlete. It takes grit and determination to be an athlete. It takes that ability to be able to pick yourself up in my son's case after a bad swim and believe me there were many bad swims there were some stunning swims but there were a lot of really bad ones and to know how to you know pick yourself up and even if you've got to hop back in the water for another race five minutes later although that would probably be too soon it wouldn't be smart but you know even if you had to dive straight back in the water for another race how to reset your mind and so that you can focus in on the next thing so when I see athletes I see grit and determination and I see this incredible set of skills that I think people often overlook and they just don't simply realize how much people have done to get to the point they've got to right. one of the other challenges I find in higher education 
is if you look at now what is being required in undergraduate and graduate too, but if I just focus on the undergraduate audience, employers are advertising entry-level jobs and they want three years of experience for an entry-level job, right. for goodness sake. Right. You know, and, yeah, and, and the other challenge that I find is that when we know the data shows us that about almost half, around 40-some percent of people who graduate from undergraduate are underemployed. So they're either working part-time or they're working in a job that they don't need uh, the college degree that they have for it. And if you start underemployed, 75% of you are still underemployed five years later. So it's almost, to me, it's like a lost generation. And the thing I feel really strongly about with athletes, because they've committed to training right the way through college, through the weeks that they're in college in summer, they generally haven't had much opportunity to do internships and get work experience. So they're actually, they're in a worse position now, I think, than they would have been a generation ago. And I don't think the employment market fully respects what athletes have done to get to where they've got to. Yeah, absolutely. There's this organization that I interviewed a couple years ago that actually takes athletes and prepares them for the workforce, but they also train employers of what skill sets that they have that are transferable. I'd love to work with them. So when we get off this, and and I I tell my staff all the time, you know, if I could recruit a class full, an MBA class, or even a, we've got specialized master's programs for less experienced people. If I could bring in a class of former athletes, because they know, they would know that they're being handed a second chance. You know, they they get it. They understand it. And you're working with talent and, and a set of characteristics that we don't find in a lot of other, pockets of people and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in other communities but I'm just saying there's some special things that go with athletes and I think people just don't understand yeah and Jenny you talked about some of the main issues for students and you know going you know graduating and not being employed and people looking for more than what they're willing to pay out what are some main issues students have uh that you have seen Right, so the ones I've already mentioned, and then I think if you look at what employers are looking for, they want people who have got, you know, there are a lot of things. They look at soft skills, they look at uh, the ability to analyze data because a lot of time entry-level people are going to be working with data and therefore, you know, some software programming skills. But they also look for deep, meaningful work experience. And I came across an expression, I didn't invent it, but it kind of captured my imagination. And someone talked about the last mile from college to the workplace and I thought that was kind of a clever play on words but the challenge is who is responsible for that last mile now when I went to college the mere fact I'd been to college put me into a category of well she's got she's somewhat smart you know however defined and so companies were willing to employ graduates and then provide management training and and workplace training around them but now what you find and and many of the listeners would identify with this the headcount and company has gone down so much that, that many organizations don't have people in place who can and willingly train incoming graduates. So the burden to provide those experiential opportunities has fallen back on universities. Now, is that right or is it wrong? I, I don't think there's, you know, that we could debate that forever. But the fact of the matter is that universities really have more burden or responsibility to make sure that students graduating are really work ready. And 
you, you see this in more vocational programs, it makes more sense and, and it's easier to pull off. But when you look at the liberal arts education, that's been a real challenge for the liberal arts community because on the one hand, liberal arts students have fantastic educations. They generally end up having creativity and critical thinking skills really well honed. But the whole value of a liberal arts is that it shouldn't be vocational. So, so you're seeing a lot of crises or challenges or, or you know, discussions going on in higher education to, to address this concern of how can we make sure the return on investment is solid for the students coming through our programs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so what are, I, I know we, we touched on some of the things employers expense, expect once the experience level goes up. Can you talk more about that? Right. So, so one of the things, if I go backward a little bit, we've, one of the things that we're doing in our program, and we're really, really proud of what we've done, we've just addressed the challenges that I've just thrown out for most higher education institutions. And we've relaunched our MBA. And inside the MBA, we've put in place a Drucker signature platform. And it has six units, two units of Drucker philosophy, because we are named after Peter Drucker. He was the father of modern management. And he was a professor at the Drucker School for 30 years through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So we, you know, we're we're an unusual management school in that we're not named after a donor, but we're named after a point of view, a thinker. So all of our students do two units of Drucker philosophy, and even on that, you know, we make them read the practice of management from 1954 or the effective executive, which is now just over 50 years old. And you could say, well, that's you know, that's it's old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, why would you get students to read that? But you know, the the, the ideas are just timeless and of course they think about what it means to organisations today, that's part of the, the, the work that they have to do so that's course number one, course number two we actually call it a leadership practicum. And this is not leadership theory, although there is a little bit of leadership theory and framework so you can understand leadership itself. But our, and we believe that leadership can be learned. And so we spend time with the students in the first few weeks identifying who they are and what their leadership style is and how they, you know, why they respond to different circumstances in different ways, both behaviorally and physiologically. And we help them evolve and grow as a leader. So very, very hands-on, you know, getting to the heart and soul of who you are. And part of the reason we do that is that Peter Drucker himself said that you can't manage others if you can't manage yourself. And right. so to manage yourself, you need to be really self-aware about who you are. And then the third course we offer is called a career strategy practicum. And we spend time, you know, building on who you are as a person and what your career goals are and how much experience you have. So more precisely to answer the question you asked, and, and we pack experiences around the students so that they can have a closer, they can be closer to achieving their goals and aspirations on the way in. So, for example, some people are purely career explorers. They don't know what they want to do. They, they've come back to school, and these can be all ages. This is this not just for the younger ones. Mm-hmm. They come back to school because they just don't want to, they don't want, they don't know what the next chapter is going to look like. So we help them with that. So we send them out, and of course, their assignments and things they do, but it's very much in the field. 
Others might be wanting to deepen their career. So they've got a sense maybe they're in finance and they want to know what it means to get into you know, a, a sort of a, a, another channel in finance or, or something deeper or more experienced. So that becomes what they do. Or someone might want to change industry or set up a non-profit or, or start a new business. So we have experiences packed around. And then the final course that we offer our students, and I'm not sure that anyone else in the country does it, but I, I, if anyone's listening, please tell me because we think we're first to market but we might not be, is a, a course called Finding Clarity. And for, for at least 15, if not 20 years, we've actually taught mindfulness. And, and, and that's been huge for our students. And in fact, many students say it's changed their lives. But we've blended this course together with a professor who teaches mindfulness is paired up with the professor who used to teach a course around re- revitalization. So we're really taking the best of both and saying, here's a context how do you respond in a physiological way and how do you respond in a behavioural way and what can we learn from that so as I said we're really excited about what we've done with our new curriculum and we call this the Drucker Signature Platform but I think it's an incredible value that we offer our students Yes and Jenny that's what radiated for me the most is how individualised it is and again with Peter Drucker's knowledge and his you know, quest to know oneself and know one's context and navigate and integrate both. It's, it, it, it sounds so simple, but a lot of people don't go through life like that. And it's like, how, well, how are you going to be a leader if, if you don't know who you are? How are you going to lead people if you don't know how to even lead yourself? I agree, and I think you know, even though we you know we started off with this Drucker Signature platform for our MBA, but we're about to roll it out into other degrees. And I come across people all the time, as I'm sure you do and the listeners do as well. And and there are people, no matter what the age, we get lost. You know, we just get lost in life. We get lost in career. We get lost, and and it's okay. And and it's okay to be lost. But what we're trying to do is provide the tools to help people work. through through the issues that they face and come out with a sense of where they might be heading. And I think part of that, it's okay to have a career plan, but it's okay not to have one as well. It's okay to let things come at you more opportunistically, but but it's okay to be a, part, a lot more intentional about the career. And, and I think it's, it's a lot of it's about giving ourselves permission that there are lots of different ways to live one's life. And I think if you look at the workplace around us, you know, we, we know about the gig economy and we know that we'll have many different careers in our lives and I think just coming to terms with that and finding and, and and being peaceful about that being the way things are because it's not like it was in our parents generation yeah and that's part of the mindfulness that you're talking about Exactly. And I think the, the other thing to, just to also talk about is the Drucker philosophy. And I just, I, just to wrap it up a little bit for you, because we've talked about knowing oneself and I talked about collaboration as being an important part of who we are. But when I speak about Drucker, there are, there are several things that I think just to pay attention to. Now, Drucker firstly said, as I've already mentioned, that you, you can't manage others if you don't manage yourself. So, so a big part of what we do at the Drucker School is around self-awareness, self-management. 
Number two, he was hugely involved in people and the importance of a flourishing organisation and the focus on the human condition and the need to leverage and celebrate strengths and diversity and, and inclusion. And that's why we call ourselves, a, a, we, we, we use the phrase management as a liberal art. And we say that because we're a liberal arts point of view, but we see management simply as a context within which the liberal arts are practised. He also believe firmly in, in a functioning society and the role of organisations in, in terms of a functioning society. So if you look around us, we see a lot of dysfunction, it seems, right now, but I think in periods of history, we'd probably say the same thing. But he, he put a, a real burden or a responsibility, I should say, on business leaders to, to lead well-run organisations, to be ethical leaders, and to pay attention to what the organisation does to and for society. And I think that's really important too, that organisations are taxpayers, they're employers, they're customers, they're members of the community, and we have a responsibility as leaders within organisations to be community, uh, good community citizens and, and, and you know, bearers of that relationship. Of course, you know, it's, he also talked about accountability and, and being results-oriented. And finally, he talked about the need for lifelong learning. And, and he also had a point of view when we look at learning that we, we we can only solve the world's most complex problems if we're willing to look across borders and boundaries and disciplines as well. Mm -hmm. So I think those five points together are what we call the Drucker philosophy or the Drucker school of thought, and that binds together our curriculum and our point of view around management. Don't you find that because so many companies are international companies and so many companies are on social media that we have to have that that ingrained into our culture of different different cultures, different ways we correspond with someone from America or New Zealand or China. Um, what do you what company do you find mm. is doing that well? I don't. If you... Yeah, I'm not sure about it. Off the top of my head, I, I, for some reason, I can't come up with a good company example. But I think, I think it's hard. I, I feel it's more at an individual level sometimes, even, and then it rolls up to company. But at the heart of what Peter Drucker taught us is to treat people with dignity and respect. You know, that, that's the heart and soul of all of this. Mm-hmm. And when I look on Facebook, you mentioned social media. I'm horrified at what some people say to different people. <laughs> I know. Media. I mean, I just cannot believe that people would would think that, would say it, but worse still would say it publicly right. against the record, you know? <laughs> and and I, I just find, and you you talk about global understanding, we, we, we have to be global citizens. We absolutely have to be. There's no, we can't hide under rocks right. and pretend that there aren't other countries in the world or other even, you know, international communities in our neighbourhood. And at the heart and soul is to treat people with dignity and respect, to come at the world from a place of compassion, to try and understand what it is that the people that we're talking to are trying to achieve and how can we contribute to their success. And I think if we all took that view, the world might be just a little bit better than it feels. Like some days, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. I I do. But, you know, it also, I feel like me talking to you about this, 
you know, we might help one person, you know, think that way. So, and then they pass that on. And whatever you do, there's a way that we can help our society to be just become better <laughs> do better and i think if we if we bring it back round to the to the theme of athletics you know or your audience being athletes and i remember having this conversation with my son who was really successful and and with success comes a responsibility i think and 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 then when he came off swimming you know he did have some struggles to try and reboot his identity and i remember having a really long conversation with him about this and and we always look for the lessons that adversity brings and what are the lessons that we trying to teach ourselves and, and you know, what are the lessons that this adversity is providing and I think if we walk down the street and we see someone, even if someone appears happy, we can't assume that they're happy, we can't assume that they've got everything figured out and when we're interacting with people we just have to, to treat people with great compassion because we just don't know the struggles that people are having and 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 I think that you know again athlete, athletes are, are, are elite athletes are good because they've got God given talent, they work really hard and they're really competitive and those three things together I remember a swim coach said that you, you have to have all of those three things together mm-hmm. to have elite athletes there's a whole but there's a whole lot of other people who might aspire to be great who can't quite get to where the elite athletes have gone and then as we know once you're not no longer competing in the sport that you've been brilliant at you've got to find another identity and none of right. these things are easy for any of us no and that's why a lot of uh, graduates, athletes, student athletes get depressed after college because they don't know, you know, what their identity is because they identified with being an athlete all these years. And also um, people that have gone to the Olympics. There's a lot, a large amount of athletes that come back from the Olympics and just like, what am I supposed to do next? You know, I've been training for four years. What, who, who am I? And I think I think people and I'm preaching to the converted here, but to even make get a spot on the Olympics, you've got to be really good. And then, you know, if you don't perform well at the day, you know, and things haven't got quite gone your way, you know, it's really hard to to get over that because you feel a failure but just to have gotten that far is incredible I mean there's, a, there's millions of other people who would have aspired for that to, to that but you're absolutely right you train you train you train you get to the Olympics and then and then you're on the next plane out of there you're done and then what you know then what do you do I mean look at Michael Phelps who's been a great ambassador for mental health actually and and also the, the sport of, of swimming but you know you can see the struggles he's had and many other people that I follow in swimming have had similar issues and they find a way hopefully back into something that's meaningful but I think it's a real challenge and I think the wider community doesn't give enough credit for the, the work that's gone on to getting athletes to the point they've got to and then what happens as the next chapter. I mean, look at Tiger Woods as a classic example and full credit to him for persevering, for pulling himself together and and achieving success again and I think no matter what you think of the circumstances that led up to these years in between I think full credit to him for putting things together again and 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 rising to the towards the top of his profession as he's doing yes absolutely so Jenny as the dean for Drucker can you talk about how you know we as you know we we as human beings can go through the MBA program and you know make ourselves as successful as possible 
Well, firstly, you know, talk to me or find me. <laughs> so that would be a good start. But I think, I think, you know, people look at MBAs and they might get frightened that they, um, that it's a big investment, it's a big commitment, that they might not feel they belong. And I feel just like college, there's a place for everyone. There's a, a college for every student and there's a student for every college. And so I think a lot of it's about fit. And I know for us, our, you know, we're unashamedly small. So the things I've talked to the listeners about are things that we can do better than most universities at large because we've got a very sort of small tailor-made bespoke you know high touch service that we provide and some people love small and some people don't um you know, we have a great alumni and community, but but you know, some some have engaged alumni, some don't. So my recommendation is, if, if the listeners are really serious about education, is to spend time, look at the MBA program, the MBA product, the market that's grown is one year specialised masters, so that's another market that that's an opportunity normally for more deeper functional training, whereas an MBA is when you're you're starting to look across the organisation to look at how the bit connect together and then of course there are executive MBAs as well for people who are far more experienced so there, most universities would have a suite of products uh, as I say for sort of one year masters more deep on functional through MBA where we connect the dots through to, to the executive MBA space and, and of course there are PhDs there as well but I think you know, to spend time just just as the listeners did when they went to undergraduate you know spend time going to listen to um, the admissions people talk about their programs and talk to alumni, sit in on classes and of course you know, we're here to help, we're in, in East Los Angeles County and, and if, if we can help anyone we're certainly happy to do so. And Jenny, before I let you go, can we dive into the marketing? I know like the marketing of let, let's take ESPN for instance. We have a whole huge marketing team. You know, you think, oh, well, ESPN doesn't have to market. Everything is marketing, even down to the athletes, to the fans. You know, talk about your philosophy or, or your how you approach marketing. Right, so firstly, before I forget, because I'll get into trouble if I don't say this, we also have an online degree in an MS in marketing analytics. So that's a great degree oh. for some of the listeners, exactly, because it's online. And yeah. and the traffic in Los Angeles, for those who are listening who know Los Angeles, is not our friend when it comes to higher education. But we have an MS in marketing analytics online. So, so for me, marketing, so I'm going to sound like an old cynic as I answer your question, but I, I get it because I started in marketing and brand management for a company that is now called Reckitt Benkheiser and they competed with Procter & Gamble and Unilever, so fast food and consumer goods, that's where I started and and when I started, we didn't have digital, we didn't have internet for goodness sake and I, I, I don't want the listeners to think I'm a hundred, you know but, but, <laughs> but it wasn't that many years ago really in the, in the scheme of a life but yeah, we were still looking at conventional ways to reach customers through television, print and billboards and radio and so forth and now we just have different ways and better ways of tracking but I think and, and I don't want to diminish that for goodness sake because the market you know the way we reach customers and the way we track has fundamentally changed and disrupted marketing but I think what we need to pay attention to is remember at the heart and soul of marketing there are some things that have never changed you've got to figure out who your audience is you need to look at the business through the customer's eyes and that's something Peter Drucker taught us way back in the 1960s 
Mm. So you've got to look at the business from the customer's point of view. And he would claim if you don't do that, you're not a marketer. <laughs> so, so to look at the business through the customer's point of view and understand what the customer's needs are and what they value. Nothing's changed in marketing. All that's changed is we've got different ways of figuring out what, what customers' needs and values are. But we still need to pay attention to audience and what they value. And at the end of the day, we're problem solvers. Good marketers solve customers' problems. They figure out what pro- customers need and they come up with a solution to that problem and then they make sure the customer knows about it. It's really quite simple. But as, as we know, you know the, the ways we reach people have become more complicated. And in fact, I'm thinking of a, um, a conference when I used to keynote. I was keynoting at a conference about three or four years ago on marketing to women. That was an area that I got really interested in. And, and what was interesting is that one of my panelists was talking about digital and she said, you know, when it started, digital marketing was the flea on the tail on the dog. Then it become the, became the tail on the dog, and now it has to sort of, you know, you know is it the dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 it, but her point really was, if you go back, I, I probably 10 years maybe, you know, we, we would put young people into the digital marketing social media departments because they were young and they knew what Facebook was, so therefore it was a young person's game. <laughs> and, 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 but they were without strategy. They didn't understand brand or strategy or you know all the things we've talked about mm-hmm. so that was this little appendage that was bolted on to the organization and as we know now of course you know this that has to be strategy driving yes. the questions of how do we then reach the audience you know we go strategy tells us to figure out where to play and how to win you know who our audience is and what value we're providing them and when we've figured that out then we can go and look at how we reach the audience but it shouldn't be it's never been talked communications toolkit first to not figuring out what it is that we're trying to solve for. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, I've, it, I I want to say so much because, you know, I remember those times where it's like, oh, just, just get someone freshly out of college to run our social media and then they run something and they, they put out something the way they think it should be put out and then the company is in hot water. <laughs> And, and, they, I agree. and it wasn't that many years ago. I'm inclined to say it would be no more than 10 years, and I'm yes. not naming the client. That yes. would be just really bad. But yeah. I, we did some work for a bank, and it was a student project for a bank. And, and they were just a lovely, lovely client. And, and, the, and you know, my age or older, probably about 10 years on me, but you know, older. And the project was um, we've heard about Facebook, we've heard about LinkedIn, we've heard about Twitter, but we don't really know what they are or how to use them. And so, you know, it was it was it was a great project for the students, but it was also there was a tinge of sadness because that was the time we were at. And yes. you know, if you weren't around younger people, you may I, I know the data now around the adoption of Facebook and so forth. I know that it's an older group that's adopting, but mm-hmm. but my point more is when these new tools and techniques uh, become prevalent, you know, it's a younger audience that often picks them up first, and then it takes a little while to move into mainstream. But but still, I think we need to have good solid strategy driving these choices you know i've come to the point where when they change the platform just like i say all willy-nilly and stuff it takes me a while to understand how to navigate through the the app again so 
I like to keep a lot of young people around me <laughs> to show me because it changes so quickly. And I'm like, what? That's it, true. And I, I know people, you know, I, I, I do some digital and social for, for my job, but I'm by no means doing it 24-7 day in, day out for my job. And, and But a lot of people I talk to who are say that you can't even go away on a vacation for a week because you come back in a week later. You know, to your point, things have changed. Yes. And you're not quite sure how to keep up with the change and what to do next yes exactly uh so you know again just keep on learning i say that just keep on learning i'm willing to learn i'm willing to work so <laughs> uh, and that's our responsibility and that comes right back to one of drucker's principles that you know lifelong learning has to be something that we all strive for and we can learn in different ways you know i represent the university side of the world, but you know, even by picking up a good book and reading something and learning things that we've never thought about before, also good. So lots of ways to learn, but we just need to allow ourselves time and give ourselves permission to learn. Absolutely. Now, Jenny, is there anything that you want to share with our listeners that we didn't tackle? I think we've had a great conversation <laughs> when we talked before we went on air. Yes. <laughs> and we talked about the four buckets that we'd covered, and we've covered about you know, a dozen, and it's just been a rich and wonderful conversation. I've just really, really enjoyed it. Me but too. as I said, my main point would be if, if if I can help any of the listeners, you know, we're here to help and, and that's something we care deeply about at our school is just helping people in their journeys, their lifelong journeys to, to be more effective as leaders. And if I can help, then please just find a way to reach out to me. And how can we do that? It, by going through to through the website? Right, so so um, I'll let you spell my name, and you can because if I spell it, people won't okay. hear my accent. But it's <laughs> but it's Jenny Derek at cgu edu. So J E N N Y dot D A R R O C H at cgu edu. And if people can't remember that, then just Google or whatever search yeah. engine you use, <laughs> uh, you know, Dean Drucker School of Management or something like that, and you'll get there quite quickly, I'm sure. Yes, I. Google just Jenny Darach, which is D-A-R-R-O-C-H. And of course, my computer almost shut down because there's so much information about you. <laughs> at least like, my name's not that common, right? <laughs> <laughs> at least I probably, you probably found me on the first landing yes. page. On the landing page yeah. I love it. And that's a great yeah. headshot. You look beautiful. Oh, you're very kind. It's probably old. <laughs> well, I thank you so much. And it, again, it was such a pleasure meeting you in person. And thank you for sharing your story here with our listeners here on ESPN. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's been my privilege. Thank you. Jenny Darach, Henry H. Wang Dean, Drucker School of Management, Professor of Innovation, Entrepreneurship and Marketing. All right. And again, if you want more information, go to cgu.edu and look up Jenny. She's great. Thanks again, Jenny. Thank you. I'm LaFern Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.